You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Grace. And hey, it's Sarah. And today we are going to cover... um, Kind of not that all cases aren't unique, but um, a very unique case that was brought to our attention, I believe, through the website. And I can't remember who suggested it, but thank you for suggesting it. We are going to talk about two murders that happened 21 years apart, but there may be a connection between the actions because there is a connection between the victims. So... Kimmy Krim was 14, almost 15, when her body was discovered in 1998 on a hillside in McKeesport. And then in 2019, her niece, Morgan Dunstan, was fatally shot on the south side of Pittsburgh. um, Sorry, in south side of Pittsburgh. And a lot of people wonder if there is more of a connection to these two than just the DNA that brings the victims together. So we'll talk a little bit. We're going to break it down. Um, Normally we would split a case and do an episode per person. However, just because of the familial connection, I did decide to keep these two together. Um, So many of the details and um, outreach really overlap. So a lot of that information would have been the same in two separate episodes. And I didn't want to repeat myself (laughs) a lot in in two separate episodes. So um, we are going to take just one episode and go through both of these, but we are going to look at them separately. And then we can kind of talk about any connections that we may sense. Um, So we're going to start with the one that happened first, and that is Kimberly Krim. So Kimberly Rose Krim, who went by Kimmy, was a typical teenager in the 90s. Uh, She was an athlete who was known to be a little bit feisty. And she was, according to an NBC article, quoted as having a knack for home improvement projects. So she's basically Grace. (laughs) You know, a little bit feisty, knack for home improvement projects. I don't know. Screams screams grace to me. If I think of myself as a teenager, though, I feel like my home improvement projects were putting glow-in-the-dark stars on my ceiling and wallpaper flowers all over my wall. Does that count? Yeah. Still counts. Still there are a lot of things uh, I stuck to my walls that my mom had to deal with when she sold her house. But yeah, I guess I had a knack for it. <laughs> That's what you get for having a teenager. I That's on your mom. That's That's fair. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so Kimmy had just finished eighth grade. She was very excited to be heading off to ninth grade in high school in the fall of 98. So at this time, she was 14. She would have turned 15 later that year. She was living in the Pittsburgh area. Specifically, she was living in McKeesport, which is a small suburb, like right outside of Pittsburgh. 
So on June 30th of that year, she left her house to walk to the store with the intention of buying hair color. And after that moment, she was not seen for six more days. On the sixth day, so we're at July 6th, 1998, um, her body was discovered on a hillside in an area that was a very popular shortcut for those that were walking to or like running local errands. She was found in this hillside area that people were known to take shortcuts through. In fact, she herself was most likely taking a shortcut through that area to get to the store to get the hair color that she was going for. So it was a fairly frequented area, which to me seems kind of crazy that she wasn't found for six days, but that kind of comes up a little bit more in some theories of what may have happened. She was discovered by a Duquesne light contractor near a cemetery in the area. When she was located, she was laying face down with her pants around her ankles and her body was well into the decomposition process. So I want to share a post that Kimmy's mother, whose name is Jeannie, made on the Who Killed Kimberly Krim and Morgan Dunstan Facebook group, which, by the way, that group is linked in our blog. It is a private group. You do have to answer a couple questions for the family to be added. But if you would like to um, be added to that, we are going to link it on the blog. Um but this is a post that Kimmy's mom made in this Facebook group that just absolutely tugged at my heart. Um, and it really brings it to reality. Um, I know we always talk about the fact that victims are real people, but I think seeing a mother's writing and wording on Facebook, I don't know, there's just something to that that brings it more to reality. Um, but this is the way that Kimmy's mom recalls the day that Kimmy's body was found. So this entire next piece is quoted straight from her Facebook page. July 6th, 1998. It was about 1130 in the morning. Now in the sixth day, Kim was still missing, but I still had bills to pay and a job to do. I decided to go to the dentist real quick before I had to be at work at 1230. Now I'll explain this as if all of you are from McKeesport and know of the route I took. After making my now daily call to the police with no word yet again, I left <clears throat> my lower Evans Avenue home to walk to JJ's store and then up to the dentist on Versailles Avenue. Got done whatever needed done and was running kind of late. As I'm rushing down the hill to get to work, I notice there's a lot of unusual traffic going on in the Versailles Avenue entrance of the cemetery. Being nosy and running late, I decided that was when I would cut through so I could get down to Fifth Avenue and grab a bus to Kane, which is where I worked. Very strange thing happened as I neared the entrance. As I went to step foot in the cemetery, I actually felt something on my shoulder pull me back. I got this very weird feeling that I should just take the long way, which I did. Little did I know that at that very moment, all that strange traffic was because Kim's body had been discovered. I got to work very late and had to jump right into the lunch serving line. Side note, she worked in a cafeteria at a school, so she was serving lunch. Okay. That's what that means. Cutting back into her quote then. Not even settled in yet, I happened to look up and see two uniformed McKeesport policemen and two plainclothes guys, which I knew were also cops. A few minutes later, my supervisor said that these gentlemen wanted to speak to me in private. My first thought was that Kim had been found and she must have done something awfully bad to have four cops come and talk to me. We get to the chapel and I sensed that it was something much worse than my original thought by the solemn way that these guys were looking at me. They asked me to sit down and from there I only remember one sentence. 
We found a body that we believed to be Kimberly. I honestly don't remember anything else that was said. What I do remember is running back to the kitchen, screaming, Kim is dead, and then just collapsing. My worst nightmare was only beginning. Oh my God. That absolutely crushes me. But I think it's so important to see those words. And you can see, too, that this whole time her mom is holding on to hope. Like, she sees the cops and two plainclothes officers, and her immediate reaction is, Oh, they found Kim and she got in trouble. Like, what's she up to? You know, like, there was not even that thought of, they're here to tell me that they found Kim and she's dead. It was, they found Kim and she got into some sort of trouble. I have to go bail her out. Like... Yeah, it seems like the thought hadn't even crossed her mind and she just assumed her daughter was getting into some teenage trouble. Right. And we're going to get into more details a little bit further down. Um, It would not have been out of the realm for something for Kim to do to, you know, maybe get into trouble with someone. And, you know, she will get into like I said, we'll get into this a little bit later, but she didn't hang out with like gangs. She wasn't involved in like horrible things, but not all of her friends were the best influences. They were also teenagers in the 90s. Like you could get away with a lot more as a teenager in the 90s than you can as a teenager now. Yeah. Um. So, you know, just kind of that element of it, too. But how heartbreaking. Yeah. So not even... Yeah. Maybe the thought did cross her mind, but it just seems like that's not really where her head was at. Right. And then all of a sudden, just this tragic news. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Can't imagine. So because of the extent of the decomp that Kimmy's body was in when it was found, they actually could not list her death as a homicide. So um, you guys may have noticed in the title that this case for Kimmy is actually kind of murdered with a question mark. Her mother firmly stands to the fact that she was murdered. And as we talk about some of the details of it, I really do believe that as well. But also, I am just a novice podcaster, not, you know, an actual investigator that has details. Um, But because of the rapid rate of decomp, um, they can't definitively say that it was homicide versus accident versus something else um so it's still just listed as undetermined Jeannie believes that kimmy was actually murdered on june 30th when she left the house to buy the hair color um she thinks that she was killed that day that just temperatures over the following week and i did look at one of the articles had like a weather report and they were temperatures in the 80s the highest day was up to 84 so you know you've got a good amount of heat there and that really contributed to the increased rate of decomp it wasn't 100 degree weather so it's not like it could have brought on that much decomp in only two or three days Um, it really does seem like even given the temperature it would have had to be four or more days of decomp so genie sticks to this idea that she was probably killed on the 30th and just was not found for about that week she just in her own words kept saying baffled um in different news articles that i was found Jeannie just kept saying she was baffled that there was nothing more that could be done with forensics and i think that's interesting too when we talked about and i forget the what they call the jane doe or what the area is that we talked about the embalmed head beaver that county forensics, 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the Beaver County Jane Doe, we talked about the fact that, you know, they couldn't get too much information because of the embalming process. And it seems like here we're in that same but opposite situation. Like they really can't get anything, but it's because of the decomp, not any sort right. of embalming. It's um, interesting, though, because they did seem to be able to get. And now this was 20 years later ish, but. They did seem to be able to get quite a bit of information just from that embalmed head and to get no information here. Right. right. It, um, it's got to be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot there's a lot of different theories in general, not specific to this case, but with Pittsburgh law enforcement, 70s to early aughts. So that can also kind of come into play here since we're in the 90s. If what some people theorize was going on with Pittsburgh police, which was just a general like lack of desire to solve cold cases, among some other thoughts that people have, I'm I'm trying to stay very neutral. <laughs> but it's hard um, though. We have done a lot yeah. of Pittsburgh cases lately where the there's a police seem to have dropped negative. the ball. So yes. I don't know if it, Yes, I don't know what to think. And I certainly don't want to spread rumors. It's just yes. the cases that we've been covering would lead you to think a certain way. Yes. And even, you know, like, obviously, I know a lot of people in the Pittsburgh area and a handful of them listen and I'll get texts that say like, oh, my uncle knew such and such person that was cousins. You know, it's always 10 degrees removed from a person, but with with Pittsburgh police and they say X, Y, Z has happened or they think that this certain, you know, one officer was hiding a lot of stuff or whatever. And there's just so many rumors that circulate in that area with law enforcement there who's to say if any of it's true but it does seem to line up with the fact that we have a lot of unsolved cases in pittsburgh that seem like they should have more evidence than they do right so now genie's theory which is quoted in the tube city almanac source that is linked in our blog is actually that when kimmy was taking the typical path to the store she decided to take a different shortcut which I mean, any small town in Pennsylvania, you have 15 shortcuts to get to one place. Like, it, that's just how it is. Um, Jeannie thinks that whenever Kimmy decided to take this different shortcut, she may have run into some people that she shouldn't have. Um, Jeannie thinks that there was probably a group in this wooded area that was drinking or smoking pot or both. And someone there offered alcohol or a joint to Kimmy. And she believes that Kimmy would have taken the offer for a drink or a joint and that perhaps things escalated from there. She did mention that while Kimmy likely would have engaged in the party-esque activity, um, if things were starting to get frisky, Kimmy likely would have not wanted anything to do with that. And like, okay, so maybe she's just a teenager that didn't talk to her mom about those things, but also... It seems like Kimmy was pretty open about her activities. Mm-hmm. Like for her mom to be saying, oh, yeah, my 14 year old daughter probably would have taken a can of alcohol or a joint. Like for you to know that your kid would accept those, you have to know that your kid would accept those. Like you need to know that's something they would do to say that it could be a theory. So it feels like if if Kimmy's mom is aware of this and Kimmy is open enough about this element of her life, would she not also 
be open about you know that other element if she was involved in anything sexual or had a desire for it um as opposed to what Jeannie is saying you know where she you know kimmy had no desire for it this is one of those cases where i feel like i have to believe her mom because her mom knew about other things that a 14 year old according to society shouldn't be doing so why would she hide that part um and that's just kind of my thought i feel like Jeannie would know. I mean, I'm sure sh they did have like that openness, but I mean, around the age of puberty, I guess you never also true. know if she wasn't like comfortable sharing that. But I mean, who we don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And um, did um, they not have uh, toxicology? I could not find. You don't know. OK. I could not find any of that. But Jeannie does think that if things were starting to get frisky, Kimmy likely would have wanted to leave. However, if there were adults there that had maybe already started getting frisky, having a 14-year-old just leave in the middle of that could, in their minds, lead to, oh, she's going to tell and then we're going to get in major trouble. So maybe they just decided to take care of the problem on their own. And um, either she was assaulted um, and like, like not sexually assaulted, physically assaulted. And then they, you know, accidentally killed her or they did it with the intention of silencing her and intended to murder her. And then it is also very, very likely that she was also sexually assaulted at some point, just based on the way she was found with pants down around her ankles. Ugh. So, again, I could not find any official, if there was a rape kit done, if we know, I assume there was no DNA simply because there was no mention of it. Um, I mean, I would think at this point, if they had the DNA, they would have been rerunning it. But again, I don't know. So I couldn't find any specifics on that. But that that whole theory just comes from Jeannie. Just okay. knowing her daughter, knowing her daughter's habits, where she was walking to and that area in general. And that's just kind of what she thinks may have happened. She may have just stumbled on the wrong group, wanted to leave at a certain point, And the group basically said, no, no, you're not leaving. So hmm. they kind of took matters into their own hands. Gotcha. But aside from family suspicions, police did, of course, begin an investigation and they followed the leads that came in, but ultimately just landed right back with nothing. Um, hmm. There was just nowhere to go. Absolutely nowhere to go. But then eight years later, in 2006... A shocking news story brings some hope to the family. And this is one twist that I was telling you, there's a couple different twists that come up that I was not anticipating. And I had never heard of this person before, but it was a huge story in Pennsylvania in 2006. So I was in middle school, which is probably why I didn't know about it. I was in but, high school and I didn't care about anything that was happening outside of my inner fair. circle. So fair. there's that. <laughs> Um, but there was a woman named Tanya Koch. It's K-A-C-H. Um, and that is totally on me. I should have looked up how to pronounce that. Decade. And she reemerged from her captor and told her story. 
She was 14 when she went missing, same age that Kimmy was when she died, and they lived in the same area. They went to the same school. Oh. So they, yes. Um, Now she, Tanya was abducted, um, kidnapped in 1996. So she was kidnapped two years before Kimmy died. Um, But um, many people had assumed for the longest time that Tanya had also been killed and that it was just that they found Kimmy's body and they just didn't find Tanya's body. Um, Of course, we now know that she was just being held captive, not just being held captive, but on a scale of being held captive to being murdered. She was just held captive. And of course, once she was able to return to her family, police got involved because they want to know who held her captive for 10 years. Her captor was identified as Thomas John Hose, who was a janitor at the school that Tanya and Kimmy both attended, where Kimmy's mom also worked. It's weird coincidences, I'm telling you. Um, now he held her captive for that entire decade and trigger warning on some essay information here, some sexual assault, just heads up. Um, he forced her to keep journals of what he called their quote sexual activity, but we'll call a spade a spade. Um, it was tracking his acts of sexual assault and rape against her. He just wanted to give it a pretty name. And according to a police affidavit, this was, quote, so he could brag to co-workers and friends of him engaging in sex and how often. I keep getting just full body chills. And I read it, like, right before you said it, and I just shuddered. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I mean, we talk about some awful stuff on here, but that just hits me so hard. That's so disgusting. I don't have a word for it. And I have to assume now there's a lot of information out there on Tanya's case. And admittedly, I did not read everything um, because it wasn't my focus for this. But I have to assume that the people he was bragging to didn't realize that she was 14. I mean, I'm assuming. Obviously, you know, she was 24 by the end of it. So she was a legal adult at a certain point as well. But I can't imagine that he was like, yo, you know, that person that I'm just holding captive that, yeah, here's what we do. Like, I, I don't know how you take whatever she's tracking in this journal and present it in a not disgusting way, but apparently he did it. Um, I guess he's just bragging as if he has like a girlfriend. That's true. At at home. And like, Hey, we do all this wacky stuff. Oh, that's disgusting. I, yeah. Yeah. So, um, It may make you feel better to know that he was arrested on charges of statutory sexual assault and involuntary deviant sexual assault. So he, according to one of the articles, was up for parole um, or was coming up for parole and she was going to be speaking at a hearing. When? So it looks like he ended up pleading guilty in 2015 to multiple charges. Okay. Yeah. So as far as I can tell, he is still incarcerated. Okay. No, he had a suicide attempt. It was unsuccessful. So I believe he is still alive. But yes. 
That's wild. Yeah. To me. Um it, it her whole case is absolutely wild. Like he shared a house with people and they had no clue that she was being held captive. Like it reminds me of was it Jamie Kloss that was held captive in like a big like Tupperware tote? I can't quite remember. But it, it reminds me of that. Like that yeah. that guy was just functioning with this girl under his bed. And I it it just feels so surreal to me. Um but like I said, if you are interested in Tanya's case, you can absolutely give it a search. Um there are multiple books and over six pages of Google results for articles because I stopped clicking through them after page six. That was a long enough rabbit hole. Um, it is a really great case. She has done a lot of great things since coming free. It's just not one that we're going to dive into because her case is solved and we want to keep our attention on the unsolved cases. So why did I bring it up at all? Um, Kimmy's body was found, like I said, in a cemetery, um, in a hill along a cemetery in a fairly popular area. As it turns out, Thomas Hose lived within view of the cemetery. So hypothetically, if he was home, he would have been able to see people walking through that shortcut area. Um, and so he would have had a, a good vantage point for where she was. Additionally, like I mentioned earlier, Jeannie worked at the school that the girls both attended and that Hose worked at. Um, so remember, he was a janitor at the school. Um, so he knew Kimmy's mom. He knew Kimmy. Um, and Kimmy's mom said she had gotten to know him because she was a cafeteria worker and he was a janitor and they were, you know, together over lunchtime every day. So they would, you know, monitor students together and sometimes, you know, just exchange words, hang out, whatever. Um, apparently... Hose and Kimmy had had some run-ins in the halls and Jeannie said that Kimmy did not like Thomas Hose. Well, good um, for her. Yeah, good judge of character, right? Yeah. Um so that's really all we know about their interactions between Kimmy and uh Thomas Hose. To this day, there have not been charges filed against Hose for Kimmy's death, but there are a lot of details that just seemed too convenient like when she was killed he was currently holding captive one of the other girls that went to school with her he worked in the school he could see where she was it it all lines up there's just not enough actual non-circumstantial evidence to use to charge so um with general lack of evidence he's been scratched off of the suspect list um doesn't necessarily mean the public doesn't think he did but officially he was kind of taken off there right now there is another theory out there that was in an article i read or sorry in a blog post i read claimed to be the most popular theory but the only place I found it was in this blog. So I don't know how popular of a theory it actually was. It may have just been like a verbal theory that was kind of going around the community. So it wouldn't have been printed anywhere. So it may truly be a large theory that just isn't officially reported on. But this theory is that Kimmy was having an affair with a married police officer. Oh. Again, 
let's go right for saying the Pittsburgh police are responsible somehow, <laughs> because that tends to be what people in the Pittsburgh area think. Um, I also hate that wording because she's 14. Yes. So yes, not an affair, people. That's rape. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So the thought is that um, it was consensual, but not actually because she wasn't at the age of consent. Sure. But that she verbally was agreeing to it and that she decided she didn't want to be a part of this anymore. And she threatened to tell on him. So he murdered her and the entire department helped him cover it up, which is how a lot of theories go in Pittsburgh. It's always one cop is involved and the entire squad helps them cover it up. So either it's true and there are really a ton of cops responsible for all of these deaths and they're all just covering for each other or there is something else going on um, or maybe a little mix of the two. But there are people who claim to have seen two officers arrested on the news for this murder, for the murder of Kimmy and actually the murder of another young woman, but that the two officers were set free by the mayor and the DJ who were shredding documents. Again, there is no mention of this anywhere else. Hmm. Just on the blog post. Just take it with a grain of salt. But that is a theory that I saw out there. Interesting. I'll keep it on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, that is really all I have for Kimmy's case. But if anyone does have tips or information on the case of Kimberly Krim, you're asked to contact the Allegheny County Police Department at 412-473-1300 or 833-ALL-TIPS, which is 833-255-8477. Now... We're going to move forward about 21 years. So 21 years after the death of Jeannie's daughter, Kimmy, she got another phone call that shattered her world even farther. So if your heart was not already breaking at her Facebook post, prepare to break farther. Great. Another young death in the family took Jeannie back in time. This time it wasn't the death of her daughter. It was the death of her granddaughter, who also would have then been Kimmy's niece. Morgan Dunstan, the daughter of Angie Krim, Angie being Kimmy's sister, had been fatally shot in Pittsburgh's South Side in the early morning hours of Friday, May 24th, 2019. She was set to graduate high school in a few days and head off to cosmetology school that August. She had already completed four years at a cosmetology technical program through her high school and then was going on to um, like an official cosmetology school in August. So looking forward to a couple fun months of summer and then moving off on to the rest of her life. Um, Morgan was joyful and kind, always extending a helping hand to anyone who needed it. Um, Truly scrolling the Facebook page, there were not enough good things that people could say about Morgan or Kimmy, for that matter. Um, just two really vivacious, kind-hearted, wonderful girls. Um, it was clearly stated in multiple articles, like I said before, that um, Morgan also did not have any gang affiliations. She didn't hang out with the wrong crowd. Um she did love to have fun and spend a lot of time with friends, um, but typically was not hanging out with like 
the bad kids or anything like that. Um, she also has a twin sister named Jordan, um, who obviously was a huge part of her life. I mean, like your twins, that's, you know, twins are always highly involved in each other's lives. Siblings are. That's gotta be yeah. a different type of pain. Yeah. To lose your twin. Yeah. yeah. Um. So she also had another sister named Jada. And Jada was pregnant and had very recently told Morgan that she was going to get to be an aunt. And Morgan was so excited for this little baby. Um, Unfortunately, her niece would not be born in time to meet Aunt Morgan, um, but she has always been told about Aunt Morgan. In addition to her twin, Jordan, and her older sister, Jada, Morgan was survived by three additional siblings, um, Joseph, Adrian Jr., and Camden. So Angie, who is Morgan's mom, Jeannie's daughter, Kimmy's sister, it's a lot of relationships there, um, attributes Morgan's death truly just to being at the wrong place at the wrong time. According to various different articles that were recounting the event, Morgan and a group of friends were dancing in a parking lot after skipping prom. Um, but it, so it seems like they skipped prom, but still went to a couple prom after parties. And then this was after the prom after parties. Um, some okay. articles mentioned that she went to after parties and some did not. Um, but it the timing would make sense if she was hanging out with friends after prom um, and then, you know, went with this group of friends to dance around in the parking lot. Um, so they were all hanging out. Excuse me. They were all hanging out, dancing in the parking lot when someone approached the group from behind and just started shooting. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was shot in the head. Um, the friends that she was with. Got her right in the car, took her right to the hospital, got her there as quickly as they could. Um, unfortunately, the bullet had just done too much irreparable damage, and Morgan did die at the hospital at about 3.30 a.m. So this is all very early hours of the morning, which is why it really does align with the idea that maybe she was um, trying to... Um, it really does follow the timeline that she would have been hanging out with friends after prom and then they were all just you know pumped and hyped up and teenagers don't need sleep so they were just up till 3 a.m dancing yeah. like i definitely had nights where i did that i just sure. grew up in the middle of nowhere so you know <laughs> there were not other people that showed up at any point now there was a neighbor of the community center whose parking lot Morgan was killed in, who was quoted in an article from May of 2019 in the Post-Gazette. And she said, quote, she heard five to six shots around 3 a.m. and looked out her window to see three cars speed through a stop sign, followed by five or six men running away from the center toward Carson Street. And then additionally... Uh, a woman who works across the street from the center also said that the building had been hosting an event that night. So I guess they did some sort of maybe it was affiliated with prom night. Maybe it was just a separate function, but there was something going on at the community center that night. The community center is the parking lot where 
um, Morgan was shot. So there's kind of this thought that maybe she was, again, just at the wrong place at the wrong time, but that um, people knew that there would be, like a shooter knew that there would be people there because of there being this event there. And that's maybe why that area was targeted. Literally, there's no other reason or why at three o'clock in the morning is someone just walking around shooting teenagers in parking lots yeah like it, it not that there being an event there would make sense because then why is a person just hanging out with a gun going to an event but if it was you know they were after a specific person that may have been there or like anything like that that would give some sort of motive behind it not that it would make sense to a sane person necessarily but to have that motive. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It would just give no something. Like there would yeah. be something there. But there's truly nothing to grab onto. Now, this is another one of the coincidences that I thought was kind of weird. But also, Pittsburgh, it's a city. So crime happens. Um, there were three other shootings that night in the same general area of Pittsburgh. One person was shot in the 900 block of Liberty Avenue. After 2.30 a.m., he was shot several times in the legs and backside. He was taken to the hospital in stable condition and recovered fully. He totally fine. The gunman in that case was tracked down. He was arrested and charged. Some people do think that the same person may have been responsible for Morgan's death. Ultimately, it's still unknown. But looking at the details of the shooting that he was charged for, there was alcohol involved There was potentially a gay bar with confusion over who may or may not have been gay and a lot of questioning of, are you a homosexual? Are you a homosexual? Um, And that irritated the gunman. And so he shot the person that was continuously asking him if he was gay. I don't know if that's a real truth, um, but that is what was reported in one article that I found. But regardless... They found the person who was responsible for that shooting, and they do not think it was the same person responsible for Morgan's death. So then we had another shooting in the Allentown section of Pittsburgh. And let me tell you how hard it was for me to figure out that Allentown is a section of Pittsburgh and not just a state or city on the eastern side of the state, because I kept seeing Allentown, Pittsburgh, and I was confused. And I had to text my friend Maddie and say, why am I confused? That happened to me at a case where they mentioned Whitehall because there's a Uh Whitehall in the eastern part of the state, too. And I was so confused. So I get it. So anyway, it's the Allentown section of the city. Um, There were two other men that were shot, one in the arm, one in the leg, both recovered. They don't think there is any connection to... Morgan. So four shooting victims in this same general area, all in the early hours of the morning. Like that first one was 2.30. Morgan's was around three. And the one with the two guys was around 3.30. So all in that same area and time frame. um, But investigators don't think that they're linked. Hmm. So despite there being four victims in this one night morgan was the only victim that died um and police do believe that they were unrelated which again could just be because it's a city and there's a lot of people in cities and there are a lot of people with guns 
and you know true yeah um i did find a photo of the parking lot that morgan was dancing in um and we're gonna put that up on the blog so i did also just kind of check in with my pittsburgh people to get a feel for the area um for the most part it seems like that specific area wasn't the best place in the world to hang out. Um, but it also wasn't like you should be terrified to stand outside. Um, at least in 2019, you know, it, it wasn't a place that you would fear for your life. Um, but you may not have wanted to dance in a parking lot, um, but you wouldn't have expected this to happen either. I imagine being in a dark parking lot, late at night in a city anywhere in right. the city just isn't the greatest place to right. be. Um, now Jordan Morgan's twin was set to attend slippery rock university on a full scholarship. And she considered staying home because she basically said, I don't know how to move on with my life without my twin. She hadn't gone a single day without her twin. Yeah. I mean that's oh my that's God. your DNA. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, my heart breaks even trying to fathom it. Um and Jordan really felt like if she did that she would be leaving Morgan behind in life. And their mom saw it differently. Their mom said, "Jordan, you have to do this for her. That's what she would want you to do." And from what mm-hmm. I can tell, I think um, Jordan did go on to college. I obviously I'm not going to like stalk her Facebook and see what she's doing. Um, but I didn't see anything that explicitly said like, you know, sh- that she chose not to. Um, so I don't know exactly, you know, what Jordan is doing now, but I don't need to know because she's a young 20 something and doesn't need people finding her online and figuring out what she's doing because that's creepy i hope she's good though so yes i do hope she's doing well um she deserves all the good things i did see um there was something i think that she had commented on on the facebook page or something and i don't know for sure if it is her but it was a jordan spelled the same way and um it was just kind of a comment of like love you so much or miss you so much and just kind of like a it seems like she's at least active enough to be willing to comment on things on a a facebook group um which can be hard to be willing to comment on something like that so Um, yeah definitely just wish her the best um and i'm sure that whatever she's doing morgan would be happy with whatever path jordan chose um i did try to find more recent information on morgan's case um unfortunately it was like i said 2019 and we all know what came around in the beginning of 2020 so it was very difficult to find any sort of information. And I'm sure that um, with no leads, it probably got put on a back burner, especially with the halt that came up with COVID and just stopping the process of a lot of um, investigations. So I honestly couldn't find anything 
since the original articles that all came out that first week after her death, which breaks my heart. And I really wish we had more. But if anybody does have information about the shooting of Morgan Dunstan, please call Pittsburgh police at 412-323-7800. Anonymous tips will be accepted. And at this time, there are no known suspects that have been identified. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.